CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Steve Fennessy. It's Friday, August 28, 2020. Take three. On the 25th season of Major League Soccer, a new look at Lance United back at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the first time since March 7th. 168-day absence from this stadium. It does feel strange. The story of the tumultuous Atlanta United season, from Joseph Martinez's injury to the disruption caused by the pandemic to the team's decision this week to refuse to play a game against Miami in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, well, it really begins last year, when the front office brought in a new coach to succeed the departing Tata Martino, who had led the team to an MLS Cup championship in 2018 in just the franchise's second season. Keep in mind that the MLS Cup represented the first major league sports championship for an Atlanta franchise since 1995, when the Braves last won the World Series. Martino's successor was a man named Frank DeBoer, who couldn't have been more different in his style. I asked my guest, Felipe Cardenas, who covers the team for the online sports outlet The Athletic, to explain just how radical a change DeBoer represented. I think we start with Tata Martino, and, and he has a history of you know going back to his days as, as a manager in Argentina with Newell's Old Boys, which was his boyhood club. He grew up at that club. He played there professionally. And then he eventually coached Newell's old boys in Argentina to a local domestic championship. And and in doing so, he did define a style. A lot of times people talk about a high press and what that means is you you are you're going to challenge your opponent. If they're on the ball and they're and they're in their own half of the field, you're there trying to recover the ball because you're closer to their to their goal and you recover that and you're going to create a chance. I think that's what defines Tata Martino's style, pushing his team into the opponent's half at all times, fighting for, for those balls, for the second balls, for the 50-50 balls, and then attacking it with numbers. And he did that here in Atlanta and it worked. Instead of a record crowd at the end of a record setting year, Atlanta United in just their second year of existence They won the 2018 MLS Cup. Right, let's hear you again, ATL. Oh, Tata Martino. Tata Martino, folks. That defined Atlanta United in those two years under Tata Martino. It was part of the, the, the championship run in 2018. That style of play, those unique players that could pull that style off. Well, it's a rumor no more. Tata Martino is, in fact, leaving Atlanta United when the season ends. Uh, And then after Tata Martino left, Frank DeBoer was hired in January of 2019. So in their second year of existence, they win it all. What kind of pressures did that put on Frank DeBoer? Now, now Frank DeBoer, in his own right, was an accomplished manager coming into this job with Atlanta United. Uh, Yeah, I'm very excited to to be here. Here's Frank DeBoer speaking to the media in January of 2019 after being announced as Atlanta United's new head coach. 
course, the ambition that they have, uh, they just started uh, two years ago in MLS and what they already achieved right now, it's, uh, it's incredible. So they have to do something uh, good here. So and that's from the start, I had that feeling uh, that I can focus on the, the one thing that I'm very good at. And that's, you know, uh, the football side, of course, managing side is also very important. Uh, he, he had won four consecutive titles with Ajax, the, you know, probably the most successful and biggest club in Holland. I think the differing philosophies is where the the marriage between Frank de Boer and Atlanta United really never worked out because the players were committed to that previous aggressive attacking identity. Frank de Boer, even though he, he said it himself, I want to score goals, I want to attack. Sure. The way he wanted to do it, it was just different. And I think he wanted to set up the team more defensively, make sure that they were strong defensively. There wasn't a lot of high pressing, like I explained before. They, they kind of sat at the midfield stripe and waited for the, their opponents to come at them, which was just a completely different way of playing for these players. It got more methodical. Possession became this, this buzzword around Atlanta United for the first time in a long time. I mean, Atlanta United under Tata Martino possessed if they felt like they had to. But it wasn't something that they said, we're going to go into this game and try to keep the ball more than our opponents. Frank DeBoer would point to possession stats and actually say, we held the ball for 79% of the time. And that was something that was important to him. But they weren't creating chances. They weren't exciting. A lot of ponderous play, a lot of methodical possession. And yet, despite his different coaching philosophy, DeBoer brought them to the brink of a second consecutive MLS Cup appearance. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals at home against Toronto last year. The Eastern Conference Final between Atlanta United and Toronto FC in front of another packed house here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium is underway. Atlanta United plays one of the best games that they've played all season. Uh, but uh, Joseph Martinez misses a penalty kick that... I think would have won that game for them. And in the end, Toronto advances to the finals. Final whistle, they're back. Toronto FC, for a third time in four years, have won the Eastern Conference Championship. Atlanta United misses out on that huge opportunity to host their second consecutive MLS final uh, here in Atlanta. So it was a big miss. It was something that, that I think still internally at the club, they still think about it. I think they, it still sits with them that they did not get that done. So how did you come to cover Atlanta United in the first place? <laughs> that's, that's a great question um, because it's a unique story. You know, I have for years um, been, I worked in advertising. I had like a 14, 15 year career in advertising on the creative side. I've always been on the creative side. I was a writer, uh, but soccer has just been part of my life. I, I played as a kid. I played in high school. I played what is considered today, you know, travel soccer, club soccer, all the way up to when I was 19 years old. I played in college. Uh, soccer has been a big part of my life. I played my entire life. And when I moved to Atlanta in 2010, I moved here for a different job. I moved here to, to continue working in advertising. And, uh, you know, while I was here, I realized that there was something going on. Like there was there, there was like buzz around this new MLS team that was going to kick off in 2017. Big news in the sports world today. Major League Soccer is coming to the ATL. Falcons owner Arthur Blank made it official today after weeks of speculation. 
MLS for me has always kind of been a league that I I watch from afar. You know, I I, I, I tend to watch global football, European soccer, a lot of South American soccer as well, because that's what I grew up in. And MLS, even though there were players that I really enjoyed, you know, like Carlos Valderrama, the you know, very famous Colombian midfielder, he was in the league from the start in 96. I, I only lived in, a, in, a, in an MLS city for about two years, and that was in Los Angeles. Went to a few games, was never a, a huge fan, but I get to Atlanta and I see you know, this could be big. They're going to bring, bring in a big coach. Uh, it sounds like they want to win right away. There's a lot of, you know, Arthur Blank is involved. There's going to be this new stadium. It sounded different. A big part of building the Atlanta United fan base has been the many, many different supporter clubs that have sprung up. One of them is called Footy Mob. Marcus Kennedy's on the board of directors for Footy Mob. And just before the 2018 MLS Cup, he talked with WSB-TV about the club's origins. We started right after the team was announced. A friend of mine got together, a group of friends, we've been friends for like 10 years, and said, hey, in Europe, they have supporter groups for the soccer teams. And so we all have a good time. And he's like, let's marry Atlanta with soccer. And in a very distinct way, in a way that everyone in Atlanta can be very proud of. And so we started Footy Mob. So, Felipe, how big of a role do these clubs play in, in not just the success of Atlanta United, but the success of the league? Yes. I mean, not every MLS club has a devout supporters culture. I think if you go to the Pacific Northwest, Portland, Seattle are, are two teams that have a long history of having had a professional soccer team in the lower divisions for, for decades. And then those teams rose up and became MLS teams and they brought that supporters culture with them. And so they've always been well supported and, and they, they understand what, what supporters culture means to MLS and how they support their teams. I think what's really cool about Atlanta United is the fact that they were a new team uh, with and not a lot of history of soccer in this city at, at, at a modern professional level. And right away, it just felt like they were going to be really well supported. And I think Atlanta has shown that their supporters culture is one of the richest in MLS. Okay, Felipe, so let's go back to the beginning of this season. It's February, and on the very first regular season game up in Nashville, Joseph Martinez suffers a season-ending injury. Very big concern for Atlanta United, the most prolific goal scorer this league has seen in a three-year stretch. It kind of felt like an omen. Well, first with Joseph Martinez you know, being ruled out with a season-ending knee injury in February was one of the biggest blows that any MLS team can, can, could possibly imagine having to deal with. Um, the, one of the best players, if not the best stri- striker in the league. Well, and besides losing Joseph Martinez for the season, Coach DeBoer had also seen the front office trade some of his marquee players, right? In my interview with Frank DeBoer from just a few weeks ago, it did very much sound like he felt handcuffed. And he did tell me that he agreed with some of those decisions, but there were quite a few that he did not agree with because they were important players like Julian Gressel, the relationship that he had with, with Joseph Martinez. You know, Julian Gressel has the you know, Atlanta United record for most assists uh, all time. It's a, lo- it's a young team, but still, that's a significant stat point. The fact that he had to deliver on these expectations with a roster that was not as talented as he had, it made it a lot harder for him to, to get the results that the club expected. When we come back, how Atlanta United players face the prospect of returning to play in the middle of a pandemic. 
how their performance led to the firing of their coach, and the decision to refuse to play on Wednesday of this week. This is Georgia Today. This is Georgia Today. We're talking about Atlanta United's crazy season with Felipe Cardenas, a staff writer with The Athletic. So, Felipe, after the season's on hiatus for months, the MLS decides to resume play with all of the teams in the entire league together in Orlando in this kind of kind of bubble. That's what they call it. MLS is back. The 2020 season resumed with a new cup-style competition. All 26 teams will meet in the MLS is back tournament held under strict safety measures. Where they can um, ostensibly play safely, but with no fans. Um, What was the reaction of the players to this idea and to this eventuality? Yeah, I remember that day, March 11, 2020, when the NBA kind of, you know, they canceled their season. And and I think we all understood as, as reporters covering soccer in America that this was going to affect the sport in North America radically and drastically and, and, and in bad ways, because this is a this is a league that relies heavily on the on-product in-game product. As opposed uh, the, to, say, TV revenue? Is that what yes, you mean? Yeah. As opposed to TV revenue. There still is not a TV deal for MLS. It's, it's something that will be happening in 2021. Uh, and so much of the league's success and, and income really comes from the gate and and, yeah. and fans going to the games. And it's very much that type of experience. And so there was this, this uncertainty about what this season was going to look like. I remember talking to, to colleagues and, and thinking, you know, and even players at the time that, you know, we didn't think there would be an MLS season in yeah. 2020. And then eventually, you know, this MLS is back tournament in Orlando you know, came about. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the MLS's back tournament. Um, what it, what was that tournament exactly? MLS's back was was the a, a huge you know a, a huge endeavor for the league because you had over seven hundred players staying at the, at the Disney resorts in Orlando, uh, and, and then they were going to play this this knockout group stage knockout style tournament. It became the biggest tournament. I think they won a Guinness Book, you know, a Guinness World Record for like the biggest type of bubble tournament in the history of sports. So they lose all three games in Orlando. They don't, in fact, score a single goal, and they come back to Atlanta. And then you mentioned that Frank DeBoer in your story was was heading into. Uh, the training facility for what he thought was sort of a, a, a regular meeting, and then what happened? So yeah, he was expecting to, to prepare on. A, this was a Friday morning, and he was expecting to go to the training facility to you know, get tested for COVID, get you know, meet with his staff, and prepare for a Monday morning training session. So he clearly believed that, regardless of the fact that they had been eliminated through after three matches, not scoring any goals playing poorly he could turn this around he was asked to go to the training facility by carlos bocanegra and when he arrived he had a meeting with both darren Niels and carlos bocanegra and he was unexpectedly let go now during that conversation he eventually agreed to parting ways and it was mutual um and it was clear from you know from my perspective that the signs were there that from a direction of travel it was time to make the change 
Atlanta United President Darren Neal's described last month when he realized it was time to part ways with manager Frank DeBoer. And look, I think it's not something that was done lightly. Um, you know, it's a difficult decision to, to make a decision like we did, but you know, we've got to make those tough decisions. So Frank DeBoer is replaced with interim coach Stephen Glass, who was at that point head coach of Atlanta United 2, which is sort of like their AAA team. So Glass is very familiar with the culture of the club, right? Felipe, set us up for last Saturday. It's the first game for Atlanta United back at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, albeit an empty one. Were you there? I was not there. I, I chose to cover the team, the game and continue to cover the team remotely. Uh, the way Atlanta United approached it, I think, in a unique way, is that they did pipe in sound during that match against Nashville, which were crowd chants, like Atlanta United supporter chants. Take three. On the 25th season of Major League Soccer, a new look at Lance United back at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the first time since March 7th. 168-day absence from this stadium. It does feel strange. The five-strike faithful, you are missed. Clearly not playing in front of their fans was, you know, a challenge for them emotionally. In terms of playing at, at an empty Benz, um, yeah, it was, it was, it certainly had a strange feeling to it. Here's Atlanta United captain Brad Guzan describing what it was like to play in that stadium without the 70,000 screaming fans. You know, we, we missed our fans uh, tremendously. Um, you know, I think they know what they mean to us. We certainly know what they mean to us, but uh, we know that they're, they're with us um, from, from start to finish. And, and, and hopefully um, it won't be too long before we're, we're able to have them back uh, cheering us on in person. Has the team given you or um, any reporters any insight as to if they'll be allowing any fans back into these home games? I know that, um, at least in Dallas, they did allow a certain number of fans in for a recent game. Is there any talk about them doing that here in Atlanta? Atlanta has made the decision that in this first phase, so these games from now, from, from August, all throughout August, uh, there will not be any fans in, in, in at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They've also sent out a press release saying that phase two, which which is undetermined, but what they expect to be a phase two of additional games throughout September, if those games happen, Atlanta United will not have fans either. So I think that says a lot about the the state of COVID-19 in Georgia. The fact that the mayor of Atlanta has also been very critical of the way that the, the state of Georgia has managed the virus. Uh, and that's what the league said, that the, that the teams would have to get together with their local governments, with the CDC, follow protocols and make that decision. Clearly, Atlanta United has made a decision based on the current state of the, the virus here in Georgia. So, Felipe, last Saturday, Atlanta United uh, resumed its season at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, won 2 nil, and then this past Wednesday traveled down to Miami to face off against Inter-Miami. What happened? It's a developing story, and one that at The Athletic we're still working on to, to provide a better timeline. But what we do know is that hours before kickoff, before that, that 8 o'clock kickoff on Wednesday night between Atlanta United and Inter-Miami, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and the rest of the NBA, the WNBA, and even some Major League Baseball 
clubs and games were canceled uh, in a sign of protest uh, regarding the police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, of Jacob Blake. I know that that Atlanta United has, uh, you know, in the past months, they've worn Black Lives Matter shirts. Um, you know, they've they've expressed solidarity with with that movement. Do you know, um, in terms of when this the idea specifically for this came about, um, for, for to just not play? Yeah, I think two things. One, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement as it relates to to Major League Soccer, I think is is a big part of this story because at the MLS's back tournament, that movement really, I think, took off league-wide. Uh, and it was in response to everything that's been happening around the country in, in regards to systemic racism, police brutality, uh, even police shootings and police killings. And and what happened on Wednesday night is, is another example of how the Black Players for Change, which is a, a new organization that's player-led uh, within MLS, once again organized and, and, and reached out to different players, different clubs, and got together in, in order to make this happen, which was a decision amongst the players to not play on Wednesday night. You're seeing live images inside Inter-Miami CF Stadium on an incredibly emotional evening across the country and the world, both Major League Soccer and Atlanta United releasing a statement, again, condemning racism and social injustice after the shooting of Jacob Blake. The game is not going to go ahead this evening between Inter-Miami and Atlanta United. Is there any indications so far about who on the Atlanta United squad is sort of taking the lead on this issue? Is there any anyone who stepped up? So once the game was postponed between Atlanta United and Inter-Miami, I think all of us were waiting to hear from players. And, and as a reporter, we were reaching out to players that, that we could. But both clubs decided to not allow players to speak to the media. In Atlanta United's case, they just simply drove to the, to the airport and traveled back to Atlanta. But the club did release a statement saying, quote, in solidarity with the black community, with our players, our city and our fans in this fight for justice, essentially saying that they agreed and supported the player's uh, decision to not play. Now, the only player that has stepped up essentially and, and spoken has been Jeff Lorenowitz, one of the captains. And his statement was part of this press release that the that Atlanta United released. And Jeff Lorenowitz said, according to the statement, quote, we want to let all of the fans know that we made a collective decision between both locker rooms to not play tonight, to stand up and fight for social change. So I think what's important for the fans of both the NBA, Major League Baseball and Major League Soccer and the WNBA as well is just to understand why this is happening. I think that's that is what the players want everyone to know. That is their message. Please understand why we're doing this uh, in in. And, and why it's important, why it's important to have a voice. And so that's what I, as a journalist, would ask fans that may be frustrated or may not understand why this is happening again. And it's perhaps a good opportunity to go read, educate yourself, and just try to understand the perspective of these players. My thanks to Felipe Cardenas, a staff writer at The Athletic. Atlanta United's next game at least the next one that's scheduled, is this Saturday afternoon, August 29th, versus Orlando. No word yet on whether it will proceed. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show at gpb.org slash georgiatoday, or anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a line at georgiatoday at gpb.org. Our producer is Sean Powers. 
Thanks for listening. See you next week. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.